In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But Mary was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. In 2012, um, some of you will probably remember, Hurricane Sandy struck the eastern seaboard of the United States, including New York City. And there's a story that I read a couple of weeks ago that really struck me. It's about a 39-year-old woman who was a resident of Staten Island. Her name was Glenda Moore, and she had an experience during that hurricane that was really quite terrifying. She had two toddler sons, Connor, who was four, and Brandon, who was two, and they were ripped from her arms by a torrent of water that flooded her stalled Ford Explorer as she was trying to get away. And she quickly got out of her vehicle as her children were going literally down a torrent of water away from her and began to frantically knock on one neighbor's door after another. The first neighbor opened his door and the woman began to, as you might expect, almost uncontrollably try to communicate what was happening and he simply said to her, listen, I don't know you, I'm not going to get involved in your issues and closed the door in her face. She knocked on a second door and as she knocked, she noticed that the lights in that house were turned off and no one would even open the door and answer her when she rang the doorbell. It's quite a tragic story because it communicates to us that people didn't want to get involved. People didn't want to get involved in her mess because when you get involved in other people's mess, you put yourself at risk as well, at risk for potential hurt, at risk for potential suffering, at risk for potential harm. Listen, Christianity tells us that God, the living God, sees the wounds of this world and decides to get involved. God does not stand idly by as he gazes from heaven upon the brokenness of the world. That is the message of Christmas, in fact. Christmas means that God, the God of the universe, gets involved in our mess. Christmas means that Jesus is willing to look at all of our issues and then to come and do something about it. 
That's what we've been seeing as we've gone through the Advent season together here at Christ Church. We've looked at what we are calling the mothers of Jesus, the four women mentioned in Matthew chapter 1, Jesus' genealogy, his lineage. And we've seen in each of those stories that Jesus came to depict for us the deep mercy of God. Jesus came to help and show his grace to the scandal-ridden, to the helpless, to the needy. And so this morning, what I want to do with you, just for a couple of minutes, is look at the real mother of Jesus, the final mother of Jesus, you might say, Mary. And in reflecting together, just for a couple of minutes, on her encounter that we read here with the angel Gabriel, we can see that the same theme continues. And so I want to tell you two main points, two main ideas, as we, for a couple of minutes, reflect on Luke 1. First, Christmas means grace for the lowly. And second, Christmas means hope for the powerless. Grace for the lowly, hope for the powerless. So first, we see here in Luke 1, in Gabriel's announcement to Mary that she will bear Jesus, that Christmas means grace for the lowly. And one of the most important things for you to understand, if you want to understand the Christmas story, is that Mary is lowly. If you'll look at what Luke recounts to us about her, he doesn't tell us a lot about Mary and Joseph, but all that he does say gives us this impression. They were not impressive people. That's what you need to understand, at least from a worldly perspective. I want you to see that in verse 26, Luke says that Mary is from Nazareth. And notice that he says it's a city in Galilee. Why do you think that was included? Well, that was included because even the original audience 2,000 years ago probably didn't know where Nazareth was. It was so far off the beaten path that Luke had to say this is a part of Galilee. Nazareth was a tiny town. It was nowhereville. There were probably 150 to 200 people in Nazareth. In Nazareth, It was about 30 miles north of Jerusalem, and it would have been a place that you went by, boom, like that, and were already past it. I remember when I was a student at Baylor, uh, I would drive from my hometown, Amarillo, up in the Panhandle of Texas, down to Waco, and on the way down, you go through a lot of really small Nazareth-like Texas towns. And there's one town in particular, some, I hope no one here is from Esteline, Texas, if you are, then I ask for your apologies in advance. I ask for your forgiveness in advance. Esteline is a tiny little town, and they have literally one traffic light and one cop that would sit there all the time. And he, well, he probably never gave me a ticket, but I'm sure he gave other people tickets for going, you know, like 27 and a 25. And uh, every time we went to Esteline, I would stop and get gas to finish my trip to Waco. And when I would get back in my car, the main thing I would think, and really oftentimes the main thing I would pray is, thank you, God, that I am not from Esteline. Thank you that I do not live in Esteline, Texas. That's how people in Jesus' day felt about Nazareth. Remember, the, prof, the people later would say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So Mary is from a nowhere place. And we see that Luke also tries to communicate that Mary is a nowhere or a nobody person. She only, we only read a couple of things about her in verse 27. She was a virgin, first of all. And second of all, she was engaged or betrothed to a man named Joseph. Now, we're not certain, but we're almost certain that because Mary was engaged to Joseph, she was very young. In that culture, um, young ladies got married much younger than they do now. It's almost certain that she was around 12 or 13 years old. So Mary was basically an 8th grade middle school girl who lived in the middle of nowhere. She was a nobody that had nothing remarkable about her at all. She was exceptionally unlikely from the world's perspective to be chosen to be the mother of the Messiah. So as you 
perhaps put a mental image in your mind of Mary. I want you to imagine her like this. An eighth grade girl in a very tiny town who was dirt poor, who lived in a perhaps 600 square foot home with the rest of her family, probably with some animals as well, very little shoes, probably a thatched roof, a lot of dirt, a lot of smells, a lot of muck, a lot of grime. You know, if you go to Google and Google a picture of Mary, I did that last week, you're not going to get an accurate portrayal, just let me tell you that. First of all, Mary is not white-skinned. She was almost certainly olive-skinned. She was darker-skinned as a Middle Eastern Jewish woman, and she was also very poor. She was probably not super clean. She didn't practice normal hygiene. She was a normal, ancient, Jewish young lady who lived in the middle of nowhere. And so Mary is presented to us as lowly. She's a nobody girl from a nobody town. And the angel Gabriel, this exalted messenger of God, comes to her and he says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. That's a weird greeting. It's weird. You can admit that. It's okay. Um, It's a strange thing to say to someone. That word there, favored, is the same word used elsewhere in the New Testament for the word grace. So what Gabriel is saying to to Mary literally is, greeting, O graced one, the Lord is with you. God is saying here in sending Gabriel to Mary that he has chosen this young lady to be the person to raise and nurture the most powerful human being who will ever live, Jesus of Nazareth. Weak, frail, unimportant, forgotten Mary, the mother of the Son of God. Why does God do it like that? What is God trying to tell us? Well, among other things, God wants you to hear this. God loves to magnify his power by working through human weakness. God wants it to be clear and unmistakable that he is the one who saves people. God wants to teach that Jesus does not enter into humanity to wine and dine, so to speak, with the privileged and the wealthy, with other kings or priests or rulers. No. Jesus, at Christmas time, enters into humanity to dwell with the lowly, to rescue the weak. He comes to to bring grace to the forgotten and the overlooked. Think about it. Mary, as far as we can see here in the story of the Bible, doesn't earn this angelic visitation. She's not doing anything. She doesn't merit this. She doesn't do anything or say anything to impress God so that he rewards her with this pregnancy. God simply decides in his sovereign mercy to show Mary favor. We see that there in verse 30. You have found favor with God. Christmas tells us that God is gracious and merciful and loves to dispense that grace to whomever he pleases. And he usually pleases to dispense it to those who are marginalized, to those who are outcast, to those who are trodden upon, to those who are shunned, to those who are forgotten by our world. The Christmas message asks you to embrace your own weakness. It asks you to embrace your own lowliness. And the reason that God is doing that, he's asking that of us each Christmas when we reflect upon what has happened in the birth of Jesus, is because it's only 
through embracing your lowly condition that you can begin to experience the transformative power of God's grace in the gospel. So, here's a Christmas question for you to reflect on. Do you feel weak? Are you cognizant and aware of your need? Do you know that you're in over your head? Are you out of resources? Are you running on fumes? If that's where you find yourself, and by the way, all of you should find yourself there. If that's where you find yourself, then Jesus came to give grace to you. Jesus came to give grace to the lonely. That's what Christmas means. Grace for the lowly. Second, this passage teaches us that Christmas means hope for the powerless. That's what the angel Gabriel is saying to Mary there in verses 32 and 33 when he says about Jesus, just look with me there, 32, that Jesus will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. What does that mean? It means this, Jesus came to bring hope for the powerless. That is what the angel Gabriel is saying. Jesus came to bring hope that the people of God had been waiting for and expecting. Listen, when Jesus came into the world 2,000 years ago or so, the people of God found themselves oppressed. They found themselves marginalized by the Roman Empire of the day as well as by others. The bottom line is they were powerless. They really were. And Mary, in her weakness, in her powerlessness, in her insignificance, represents the inability and the powerlessness of Israel of the day and really of all of us who need Jesus' rescue. The people of God then and the people of God now and the people of God always are aliens or sojourners. We are foreigners. We are a pilgrim people, the scriptures tell us. We do not have a true home in this world. That's why if you're a follower of Jesus, perhaps you might often feel as if you're always traveling and never really arriving. You might feel from time to time that you've not really felt comfortable in this world, even in your own skin for some time. That's actually the normal status of the follower of Christ in this world. Jesus came for a people who did not have a home, but they did have a hope. And that's what Gabriel is communicating here. The people of God in that day were raiding on the long-expected Savior who was going to come and deliver them. And that's exactly what Gabriel announces here. He says, Jesus is the expected king. Jesus is the son of David. That's royal language, you see, kingly language. He is going to reign forever. He is the one who will usher in God's kingdom. Not the Roman Empire, not any other empire. God's kingdom in its fullness and glory and brightness. Jesus will defeat his enemies. Jesus will execute justice and righteousness. Jesus will establish peace. All of those deeply felt thoughts are wrapped up in Gabriel's words here to Mary. The New Testament scholar N.T. Wright puts it like this in his book, Simply Christian. Listen to what he says. Christianity is all about the belief that the living God, in fulfillment of his promises, and as the climax of the story of Israel, has put his rescue operation into effect once and for all with Jesus. 
A great door has swung open in the cosmos, which can never again be shut. It's the door to the prison where we've been kept chained up. We are offered freedom. Freedom to experience God's rescue for ourselves. Where in your life do you feel the most powerless? The most hopeless? Is it in your marriage, perhaps? Or you have maybe a long history of hurts and pains at this point, And you don't see how the two of you can dig your way out. Maybe it's financial. Or you feel so swallowed by obligations and debts that you want to just curl up under your covers and, and stop. Maybe it's your sense of vocation or calling. Uh, you know, you don't like what you're doing now for work, but you don't know what else to do. You're just going through the motions, and you're on the verge of accepting that your life is just not ever going to really satisfy you. Maybe it's with your own struggles with addictions or temptations or particular personal weaknesses where you see that the path that these practices take you down, but you find that you can't just, you just can't resist the, the short-term relief that they offer, right? Even though, it's, even though you know it's to your long-term detriment. Where are you powerless? Where have you lost hope? Listen, Christmas says that the son of David, the son of the Most High, has come and has brought with him, has ushered in, has initiated and established a kingdom that will never end. And in this kingdom, there is peace. In this kingdom, there is real joy. In this kingdom, there is blessedness. In this kingdom, there is hope for the hopeless. In this kingdom, there is no evil. There is no frustration. There is no shame. There is no guilt. There is no fear. There is only light and life. And so Christmas tells you, in fact, Christmas beckons each one of you to enter into this kingdom. To see Jesus for who he is, the one who has in fact come to bring grace to the lowly and needy and to bring hope to the powerless to see his offer of hope and grace and to respond to it by trust, by leaning into this Jesus, the Son of God, the one who has brought his perfect kingdom and will one day come again and bring it in fullness, to lean into that Jesus in faith, to remember that today, no matter what you've experienced in your life, you have hope when you don't know where else to turn. Today, no matter what you've been through, no matter what pains you've suffered, no matter what things you've done that you feel ashamed of, you can experience grace and pardon and forgiveness because Jesus has come. The son of David is here and he invites all to enter in. J.R.R. Tolkien wrote a great essay called On Fairy Stories. And uh, in that essay, what Tolkien is trying to do is explain why there's this almost universal fascination with what is popularly known as the fairy tale, especially fairy tales that have happy endings. And um, he calls the happy ending the consolation. The consolation. Why is it that we all love stories 
where it looks like things are never going to turn out for the best and a rescuer arrives and makes everything right again. And I would encourage you to read that story. Um, It's a wonderful story. And Tolkien says, really, that what makes fairy tales so great is what he calls, and this is a big word, the eu-catastrophe. E-U-catastrophe. E-U is a prefix in Latin for good or for well. Like eulogy means the good word. The eu-catastrophe is Tolkien's way of speaking about the happy ending. And so what he says is the reason when Prince Charming comes in and kisses Sleeping Beauty and she wakes up. The reason we all love that is because it's speaking about something that we all long for in our own lives and in the real world. The reason that when Aslan comes back to life and defeats the White Witch, we all cheer is because it's a catastrophe that speaks deeply to our own hearts. The reason that when Darth Vader saves Luke Skywalker and throws the Emperor, spoiler alert, by the way, you haven't seen Star Wars, sorry, oops, you're too late. It's 40 years old. Um, the reason we love that is because that's, that's the moment of happy ending that we all long for. And what Tolkien says at the end of this, is, of this essay is that Christmas is the real fairy tale. Christmas is the consolation of the happy ending. Christmas is, is the thing that really gives what all of those stories that we love to read to our children and read for ourselves and go see at the movie theater at this time of year, the feelings that those cause in our hearts, the yearnings that we experience, all of those things are summed up and given to us in full in the actual story of Jesus' coming to earth. He is the true prince who has come to rescue his bride. He is the hero who has given himself for his people. Christmas is the great and true happy ending. It is the fairy tale that sums up all fairy tales. At the end of the essay, Tolkien writes this to conclude. Here's what he says. The birth of Christ is the eucatastrophe of man's history. This story begins and ends in joy. There is no tale ever told that men would rather find was true. And none which so many skeptical men have accepted as true on its own merits. My prayer this morning and this Christmas season for each one of us is that we would by faith be able to see that Jesus is the consolation of the happy ending for all of us. The birth of Jesus means that victory has won, that death will be defeated, that there is hope for the powerless, that there is grace for the lowly. Merry Christmas. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, that you have sent to this world your only begotten Son, Jesus, and that you sent him to a place that probably none of us would have ever predicted. You sent him to a tiny little town on the outskirts of the city of Jerusalem to a young lady who had no idea what was coming and yet who was able to faithfully receive the promises of God for her. And so, God, we pray that we would this morning imitate Mary and be able to receive faithfully the promises of God for us. May we believe and see and accept by faith today that in Jesus you have come to rescue us with your grace when we feel the depths of our own need. And that in Jesus you have come to give a sure and certain hope to all of us who feel powerless. Father, we thank you that Christmas is an opportunity to celebrate this wonderful good news of the gospel. Thank you that you will make all things that are sad come untrue in Jesus. 
Thank you that you will right all wrongs. Thank you that you will perfect this broken world and bring us into it to dwell with you forever. So we ask this morning that we would rejoice in that good gospel news and celebrate Christmas. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.